Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. Because really, when you're working with business owners, you have to think of it as they're entrusting us with their baby, so to speak. So their business, their employees, they're relinquishing a lot of trust in the, the critical aspects of what we did for them. But it was really important to make sure we had proactive communications, good expectations, and those types of things. Welcome to another episode of the PO podcast after our summer break. Today, I will be speaking to Charlie Lusher, who was the director of client experience at Oasis. We'll be covering topics around client segmentation, strategic communication, and what KPIs to use to track your success. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you. And this is a quick uh, disclaimer for, for, the, for the audience. Uh, Charlie has been working in the PO industry for, for a long time, but she is now, uh, we're fortunate enough to have her here uh, at my company at Thrive Pass uh, as our uh, head of relationship management. So um, again, welcome to the show, Charlie. And maybe as a first question, um, uh, I'd like to ask you, Tell us, the audience here, something unique that the team, that your team doesn't know about you. Right after high school, I actually took, we'll call it a gap year, and I went to cosmetology school because that's what I thought I wanted to do. <laughs> so then I took a completely different path, but not very many people know that because now it seems like it was so long ago. I did try my hand at cosmetology to start out with. That's awesome. No, it's, it's interesting, right? Like what different pathways there are. And may, maybe as, as, a, as a connected question. So, so from there, how did you get connected to the PO industry? What, what was your pathway into the industry? I actually started as an HR manager for a commercial construction company. I went through a staffing agency and started working there. The owner was very entrepreneurial. And he had many friends that owned businesses and he wanted to start a PEO. And he literally came in with a letter that he got from another PEO that I actually went to work for eventually. He didn't know much about it. And I knew basically nothing about it. So especially early on, as we were starting this PEO, I was spending a lot of time really just kind of figuring things out, accessing industry resources through NAPIO, calling state agencies, learning through their resources. So it was a hard way to learn, but it definitely gave me a pretty good in-depth training. <laughs> so, so, so you were essentially part of the of the extended founding team of, of that, that PO then. So starting something is always hard. Did you and your team create technology as well, or did you work with uh, Prism Agile, another technology uh, provider? You know, at the time, I, I didn't even have a team. It was me doing payroll, invoicing, all of those things, benefits administration. It was kind of a one-man show in regards to starting this PEO. We, I remember sitting through a demo of Prism HR. We did a lot of things out of other systems that were not PEO related. And I was there. I stayed with that PEO for about two years. So then I went and actually worked for another PEO that I stayed with for the majority of my career. The other PO now was that Oasis or now it is Oasis. And there, there's obviously a lot of consolidation in, in, in the market. Did did you join Oasis directly or was that through an MA? What, what was that pathway? So I was with the initial PEO that, that we started. And then I actually went to work for at the time it was called Merit Resources, based out of Des Moines, mm -hmm. Iowa. 
uh, when I started, there was about 75 internal employees. And I remember there was a big sign on the back of the wall and it said uh, 8,000 worksite employees. When I started, it was pretty small. And then when we were acquired for the first time, I believe I'm going to kind of swag these numbers, but I believe we were about 30,000 worksite employees. So it grew quite a bit before we really got into the M&A activity. And I mean, gr growth is always exciting, but also hard, right? Uh, so, so growing from 8,000 to 30,000, right? What was most difficult during that time, specifically as it pertains to the client relationships that you, you, you built over, over the years? I had to really have a mindset change in a lot of ways. I loved the relationships that we built. So when I was working for the smaller PEO, and then when I went initially to work for Merit, I knew the companies very well. We had very strong relationships and it was fun from a client service perspective to build relationships with those clients and solution for them. And when you're small, you're able to solution for them in a more customized way. So as we grew, I really had to take a step back and change my mindset many times to think about the scalability of the customizations and you know, really remembering that the PEO model is to help organizations achieve better results because of the economies of scale. And so to help set those expectations, you know, we wouldn't have been successful and we could have caused potential roadblocks for our clients if we we're trying to customize every single aspect of our service. You know, when you have a servant's heart and when you're working with client service, that's not always easy to kind of take a step back and talk through alternatives to those customizations and, and not really be able to deliver every single one because you had to keep scalability in mind. Let's maybe dive into that a little bit deeper. A lot of companies go through that, right? And the question is like, how much do you customize? How much do you bend over certain yeah, inquiries from clients versus like standardization and, and looking at like how this entire thing scales? And there's always the next big client, right? That has a, a couple of new features or ask for you, right? So how did you and your team, how did you guys manage it? And how did you find the, the balance there? And maybe, maybe one, one question to tack on to that, did you have to say no to new clients? I mean, did it come to a, a time where I said like, you know what, like this is probably not good business for us to take on? You know, we really had to approach it with thinking the end goal in mind when we were working through from just our general client population. You know, what was the ultimate goal we were trying to achieve and how could we do that most effectively, efficiently, cost-effectively, and in the most comprehensive manner? So, you know, rather than creating 50 different customized reports, you know, if 80% of our clients would really benefit from these data elements, but maybe this client doesn't need every single one of them, what could we create comprehensively that then they could peel out certain elements of it or whatever, you know, situations like that. There were certainly times though, where we had to set appropriate expectations and really call attention to this is what we can do to help you achieve the goal. And this is where we're not going to be successful. If we, you know, if we try to back into this, this is not going to be, you know, this is not going to be a positive outcome for either one of us. So let's, again, think about the end result in mind. What are we really trying to achieve? And then come up with alternatives that really kind of fell into our model based on that. So, so it seems like a lot of it was about clear expectations, right? Uh, between Absolutely. the client, the sales team, uh, service delivery team, uh, and, and communication. Totally makes sense. I want to I wanna go back to, you said something about the M&A world, right? And, and, and being part of that. T tell us a little bit more about the experience that you had during a merger and acquisition and, and what, was, what was most challenging about that time? 
really knowing our clients so well and wanting to be all the things for them and, and continue the service. You know, when our organizational changes happen, clients needed to know that they still had an advocate and somebody that wanted to know them and cared about them as their organizations. Because really, when you're working with business owners, you have to think of it as they're entrusting us with their baby, so to speak. So their business, their employees, they're relinquishing a lot of trust in the, the critical aspects of what we did for them. And so Kind of, again, I'm, I'm probably going to just continue to reiterate this, but it was really important to make sure we had proactive communications, good expectations, and those types of things. The other really challenging part it was just learning other cultures in terms of how they serve their clients. I remember one of the acquisitions that we did, you know, we were very used to working with our clients and how we service them. And we started working with a group uh, based out of Nashville, and that was primarily where they were based, a lot of their clients. Simple things like they, absolutely wanted a phone call. They were not comfortable with email. That's just not. And so it was, again, just kind of a mind shift, a mindset shift is really how to learn about your clients and how to serve them in the best way that makes them feel cared for and cared about and like their voice mattered. You're talking about the, the different needs of clients, so to speak, in an M&A scenario or like afterwards in different cultures. But I assume that this, this also applies just like for the regular business, so to speak, right? So different clients have different needs. Tell us from, from your experience, specifically once you manage larger uh, teams on the relationship management side, how did you navigate serving different sizes of clients, right? Like your, your, your 10, 15 live group versus hundreds and thousands of employees, right? Um, from a time allocation perspective, communication, how did you manage that? You know, we really had to think, again, kind of going back to the scalability, is how we could meet the needs of the clients in the different ways that they needed to be, you know, have that communication. And I always think seven times seven ways when it comes to disseminating a message or communicating something. So where letter mailed might be best for one client, we really needed to have online resources for another. So it was looking at things comprehensively to, you know, what could we make available in the most effective and efficient ways that can really meet the clients based on their needs. If we're working with a client that has overnight shifts, for example, having meetings or scheduling webinars in the middle of a business day is not really going to work for them. So making sure that there was recorded webinar options or, or things like that. So really looking at it holistically from the whole entire client base um, and then diving in to see where we could really make information and resources available to those clients. And so much of that, and one of, you know, one of the other things I thought about was, you know, as you are serving a 10 person group versus serving a 10,000 person group. So much of that is just technology related. So when you're serving a 10 person group and you're maybe implementing them or onboarding them, and it's easy to have a webinar and share information and, and talk through it and you know ask questions and answer questions and those types of things. But when you're working with a 10,000 person group, having that meeting is not, I mean, it, that's not gonna be really feasible. So again, what can we do to make this available and easy to access and something that, you know, really prepares the leaders of the organization as well. We had to think not only of the end user in mind, but also at the client and the leadership, because if there's questions about the services and things like that, that we're providing natural, naturally employees are going to go to their HR people or their benefits people. And and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't why they were working with us. So how could we make our resources and information available to the majority of the people? 
And you oftentimes see that like the different uh, size of clients, right, get they're clustered, so, so to speak, by, by the sales department, right? And they say like, well, here's what we do for, for small, medium, large clients, right, for implementation credits and, and whatnot. Or like how much time do we actually spend, uh, you know, in, in, in the process? Did something like that, a framework, maybe ABC clients by revenue or whatnot exist? Or is this something um, that you would recommend to other client relationship management teams in the industry? When I first started working, it did not exist. So that was something that we kind of evolved throughout time based on need, because you're absolutely right. That is helpful. And again, going back to the communication expectation setting is it allowed us to have that framework to set appropriate expectations with the clients that we were serving, especially during the implementation and onboarding process, just because that's such a critical time. If the implementation and onboarding process does not go well, it just is one of those situations where the client seems to be snake bit. If anything's going to happen that goes wrong, it's going to just happen to them. That's just kind of Murphy's Law when it comes to that. So absolutely, it was it was good and helpful to set those expectations. And also, so the clients knew what to expect. When you're working, certainly with a PEO, there's it's so broad and vast, and you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know exactly the questions to ask. So having that framework then really kind of laid it out so they could also anticipate the appropriate questions to ask and anticipate the needs of their employees and making sure that we were really doing everything that we could to mitigate any disruption in terms of rolling this out. And then I think one of the things, Charlie, that you have implemented here at ThrivePass uh, is, is you know, the, the concept of these quarterly partner reviews, right? Where we spend an hour with the client, talk about strategy, the numbers, the roadmap moving forward and whatnot. And I think this is a good example where, to your point, clients can then either opt in or out, right? And, and you give uh-huh. clients a choice, right, in terms of like how, how involved do they want to be? How does it relate to the concept of proactive, automated versus reactive uh, communication in in your perspective? I believe that proactively engaging with clients in a regular cadence um, will really help the need to be reactive, be mitigated. Um, Setting aside time to have that more transactional or more than the transactional check-in rather and have that conversation and dialogue about what their plans are as an organization for growth, for budget challenges, employee engagement, resource needs will allow us to plan with them to meet those needs rather than being reactive. So it's critically important. And, you know, one of the things that I'm challenged with a lot, just as a leader working in client services, there are so many times, and I, I tell, you know, anybody that's worked with me is if I hear, well, the client's fine. I don't hear from them. That's like nails on a chalkboard to me. That does not mean they're doing well. That means they may be right. shopping somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's not what that means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or how are things going? That's, they're fine. I, I talk to them, you know, usually once a week about what though? So what are we actually trying to talk to them about? Are we planning with them? Do we know what their growth plans are? Do we know, you know, are they having budgeting challenges? Those types of things being in lockstep as much as possible with clients. And it really, you know, they've got other things going on and they can't have a deep, meaningful dialogue, you know, as often as we may want to, but that allows us to be lockstep with them and allows us to be proactive in terms of meeting their needs and also helps us to recognize cross-sell and upsell opportunities, really. If they're challenged with something, it may come up in those types of conversations rather than them going out and looking for it on their own because they don't know it's something that we offer. So that's really important. So, so keeping the communication over uh, open, having a finger on the polls from a, a 
qualitative perspective in a structured manner, right? Um, that, that all makes sense. Help us to understand uh, how do you think about quantifying the success of the customer success team? Maybe let's start with like, what, what are some of the key performance indicators, right? From a client perspective um, that, that you would recommend, hey, AVP or should, should be tracking. You know, especially with these client facing the relationship managers, account managers, it's it's often challenging. And one of the things that I was challenged with, just because many of their conversations are via email or on the phone, and if you're not tracking those things, it's a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a huge thing that was very very valuable valuable for us, and a big part of what we did was retention efforts, so tracking risk, being able to forecast, being able to prepare for you know, terminations and those types of things. What could we do to offset that through their retention activity? So we had, I mean, that was a really big focus is tracking that activity, both in regards to the termination activity and also what our retention activity was and what risk and how we were providing information to our finance team and those types of things. Obviously in a client facing role, just gathering client feedback. So how are we gathering feedback and how are we doing so in a uniform manner so we could actually use it to really understand what the client base was feeling, be it MPS or just having these standard questions that we're asking, but taking it outside of the conversational dialogue through partnership reviews or what, you know, whatever the case is, but being able to really measure that across the client base. So those things were, were very important. So it seems like that there was a pretty broad spectrum of what I would call lagging indicators, like churn eventually, right? I mean, once it's happening, it's a matter of fact, and then, but also leading indicators, right? Net promoter score, specifically with with net promoter score, is is there like any kind of client surveys, right? Because, you know, that's obviously super valuable, but we we all, everybody gets these surveys fairly frequent these days, right? What what, what is the right cadence? How many times can you actually ask your clients uh, to provide meaningful feedback? The other part of that too is what are you really trying to understand? You know, I've seen surveys be a part of email signature lines and things like that, which is great. And you're gathering that feedback, but that's very situational. So they may have just had a really great dialogue with somebody and they're going to give a great response. Whereas if they maybe don't like your answer or that particular situation wasn't great, they may give not a blowing review. So making sure that we're gathering feedback to really look at the overall holistic partnership. And in that way, the way we've, we had always done it in the past was semi-annually. So we want to make sure that we're communicating in advance and letting them know really what we're working towards and why we're doing that, not doing it too often, because again, we want it to be a holistic partnership overview. We don't want it to be really situational. And the other thing about that was really the follow-up. Clients were more apt to respond, especially long clients, if they knew that the feedback that they had provided uh, previously was valued and action was taken where it was needed. And even just to get a response, thanking them for taking their time. So making sure that you really have the right cadence outside of just the survey to communicate and to follow up. Totally makes sense, right? I mean, the the easiest thing is to to create a quick service, send it out, right? Like the the hard work is really in the the afterwards, right? What do you do with the responses? Um, How how would that influence um, your processes, the product roadmap and whatnot? In that sense, how how do you think about transparency? And as as a two-sided question, right? One, transparency you as a leader in the organization, right, to to your team, to the employees, uh, but then also to your clients. You know, a leader once told me, and it's something that I think about often and it sticks with me, but a leader once told me that people value sincerity over perfection. 
it's just always stuck with me. You know, there's several situations throughout the years that a client had said, if I would have, I could have done fill in the blank. I communicated to my employees, provided the information, whatever the case is. So nobody likes to be blindsided. And if there's issues, deficiencies, things that need to be addressed either on our side or theirs, and making sure that we're going back to this again, communicating, setting appropriate expectations, planning and executing. So transparency is a huge part of that, you know, and also just from an integrity perspective as an organization, making sure that we're providing the services that we say we're providing. And if there is a shortfall somewhere, accepting that and addressing it and clients will value that sincerity or the perfection. Most people don't don't expect perfection, but uh, if something goes wrong, Mm -hmm. I think clients expect like accountability, good root root cause analysis, what went wrong, and then what what are the steps now to to, to mitigate these things? If if somebody wants to move into the PO industry, right, on on the client side, what what kind of advice do we have to to enter the industry and and to make your career in, in the PO industry? One thing that I I think about a lot with that is what we do matters. You know, I mentioned it before that clients are relinquishing a lot of trust to us. And this is their, you know, they nobody ever really got into the business because any business owner, because they really wanted to know about payroll tax or employment mm-hmm. law. That's nobody mm-hmm. ever started into business because of that. They had whatever their baby was and they wanted to move that forward. And so really understanding that what we do for clients with PEO and, you know, the really cool thing about PEO is you get to work with so many different businesses and industries. So it's kind of applicable outside of the PEO as well, just in any client service is you can take a step beyond any transactional activity that you're doing and knowing that you're really working with clients to strategize, to help them grow whatever that baby is that they have and that you can be a part of a really cool solution for them that is impactful to others. In the PEO space, one thing that I encouraged my team a lot to do was we're doing kind of our core functions where payroll benefits work comp and HR. So in a lot of those cases, we're dealing with things that cause pretty heightened emotions, right? If payroll and benefits. So it's not just processing a payroll or anything else. That really could mean somebody getting, being able to put gas in their car and going home at night or being in the ER with a sick child in the middle of the night and making sure that they had appropriate benefits. So again, kind of going beyond what is right in front of you to know that you're part of something really significant. And approaching it as that, this is an honor that we have to be able to work with the clients and serve them in the way that we do. It really is something that we should take pride in. It's great to see your passion, right? I mean, it's clearly <laughs> comes through that like you, you're passionate about uh, not only the industries, but you know, also the, the organizations that you also have. So, Charlie, it was it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, Thank and, and you. learning more about you know how to structure and, and, and serve clients well. Thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.